0: Today's Unseminary podcast episode is brought to you by Regal Theater Church, the only theater company providing full-service consultation for churches wanting to create dynamic worship services in familiar, culturally relevant venues, the local movie theater. With lots of parking, spacious lobbies, plenty of bathrooms, and a perfect view of the screen from a comfortable seat, Regal Theaters are ideal for church plants and multi-sites, Learn more at regaltheaterchurch.com or call their incredible team at 1-800-792-8244 today.
1: Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary
0: Podcast. Hey, happy Thursday, everybody. It's Rich Birch from the Unseminary Podcast. I hope you have had a great week. This month, we are celebrating over three years and 180 plus episodes uh, of the Unseminary. Seminary podcast by going global, by looking at church leaders from around the world. Today, we are uh, going all the way to South Africa to visit with a leader by the name of Ross Lester. Uh, And Ross is a pretty amazing leader. He is leading a multi ethnic, multi uh, cultural church in a a part of the world where race really has mattered uh, in a pretty significant manner. And I think you're going to be, I think you're going to love this interview. You're going to love to hear more about it. Uh, I also just want to remind you that on November 1st, we're launching my very first book. It's called Unreasonable Churches, and you can find out more about that at unreasonablechurches.com uh, where you can get a sample chapter and actually get to the front of the line uh, to learn more about the book as we roll out here at the end of the month. I would love for you to pick up a copy or three uh, for your friends and ministry. Maybe it's, it makes a great Christmas gift. I know that seems a little early, but that time is coming uh, this year. Well, let's jump in with Ross Lester. I think you're going to love this interview. You're going to love hearing more about how God is using his church.
1: This is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary.
0: We've got Ross Lester with us all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, He is the pastor at Bryanston Bible Church, a a great church. And I'm really looking forward to learning from uh, you today, Ross. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I'm so glad uh, that you've taken some time out with us. I'd love to hear more about South Africa. Give us a sense of kind of the the spiritual climate. You know, how um, has you know is the history of your country impacting you know the gospel? Give us a sense of the South of South Africa.
2: Oh, right. I think I think South Africa. Is a land of tremendous opportunity and a land of tremendous uh, obstacles at the same time Mm. um, in terms of church work and the gospel. It was kind of the darling of the world 20 years ago with the end of apartheid and uh, uh, Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu's vision of a rainbow nation Mm -hmm. and I think what we're seeing now is um, uh, just how naive some of that vision uh, was in terms Mm -hmm. of implementation Mm -hmm. and uh, so the realities of post-colonial and still, very racially divided society are really coming home to roost, mm. and so there's major obstacles. There's there's um, rampant poverty, highest HIV infection rates in the world. Mm. Uh, in South Africa alone, there's there's over five million orphaned vulnerable children, wow. uh, and so massive gap between rich and poor. So major major obstacles, um, major racial gaps um, and and inequalities there as well. But major opportunities because God's doing something in sub-Saharan Africa and and in South Africa. Um, and so, Sub-Saharan Africa is where Christianity is growing fastest um, anywhere in the world. it's, mm-hmm. it's reckoned that uh, 10 years uh, from now, Africa would have the most Christians of any continent in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the median age of a Christian in Sub-Saharan Africa is 19. So, um, there's massive opportunity for the gospel if you can get this gospel narrative really into the hearts of people in what looks like a place full of obstacles. You can also create um, a great deal of opportunity for the next generation of uh, of Christians in this part of the world and unbelievers in this part of the world to experience um, the hope of the gospel. so it's an exciting place to be, exciting place to minister uh, no shortage of difficulties but plenty of opportunity. Hmm.
0: Now did you grow up in Johannesburg in you know, in, in the specific the kind of part of the country that you're uh, serving in today?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, Born and raised, um, kind of fourth generation South African Mm -hmm. and so grew up right right through uh, the fall of apartheid. and spend some time in the U.S. living there, but most of my time has been in Johannesburg.
0: Hmm. Amazing. Well, why don't you give us a sense of kind of, you know, your church, your community, um, you know, how is what you're leading, you know, impacting your community with the gospel? It's incredible to hear, you know, the growth uh, of the kingdom and how many people are, you know, becoming Christ followers in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, but tell us about what's going on at your church.
2: Um, So, yeah, I'm at a a church called uh, BBC Brunson Bible Church. Mm it's about forty-five years old, mm-hmm. um, and so was part of a, a quite a conservative denomination known as the Christian Brethren, mm. and then moved away from that um, about twenty years ago, and has kind of been trying to uh, discover its own identity <laughs> and its own place in the world it's in. Um, probably the most affluent neighborhood in, uh, on the continent, mm. um, which again has its challenges um, because you've got the poorest of the poor living a couple of miles away mm. um, and then uh, really affluent people living behind massive walls trying to not let that tension
0: just <laughs> mm. overwhelm them oh, all interesting, the time. Interesting.
2: Yeah. So we're a, we're a couple of thousand people now just yeah. trying to figure it out. Lots of kids, uh, lots of young families. Um, growing towards multiculturalism, growing towards racial integration because you don't see much of that in churches in (laughs) South Africa. Wow. Um, and trying to be a faithful church uh, that plants other churches and, and maybe births a, a, a movement of gospel-centered multicultural churches in South Africa. Hmm.
0: Well, I, there's a lot to unpack there. I'd love to, if if I'm not stepping on toes, I'd love to hear more about the kind of multiracial thing and how yeah. you're making steps in that direction. Obviously, um, you know, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, from the states, can uh, identify with the segregation that just naturally happens. Um, but obviously, that takes on even you know a, a different Complexion um, in in your community. How are you making mm. steps towards that in uh, at your church?
2: Yeah, it is different here because the oppressor was the minority, mm-hmm. um, and so that's got its own complexities. Mm-hmm. And so 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 we're a majority white church, but that makes us a majority minority church, mm-hmm. which yeah,
0: in the so rest of the world
2: right? is you know like I don't know seen as more acceptable, but here it's it's really not. So um, so there's interesting dynamics at play there. So mm-hmm. what what we've tried to do is just say okay, apartheid put us, white South Africans, in a position of privilege. There's mm-hmm. there's no denying that we benefited off of an illegitimate system. Mm-hmm. How do we own that, repent of that, and then pay it back? How do we pay back privilege? How, how do we take the, the the position that we're in and the, the education that we've received the wealth that we have available to us because of the wickedness of that system and how do we pay that back and, and mm. the best way we can see us paying that back is through raising black African leaders who will replace us mm. um, and sowing the riches of the resources that were sown into us sowing into young black African leaders mm. so that they can really take the charge um, into the next generation and so we, we haven't really tried to um, put band-aids on a cancer by just window dressing in terms of music styles, that kind of stuff that will right. come. Our heart has really been to change the demographic of the church from the leadership down. Mm. Uh, and so really been trying to sow into um, young black Africans, raising them up to maturity, um, appointing them as elders when they're ready, sending them out as church planters, um, because then leadership is, is viewed as diverse, and then the congregation shifts from there. And so it's the slower route by far, but we think it's going to yield more fruit than just trying to make some quick fix changes to try to get a more diverse group of people in the room.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's I appreciate that. I think that's a great thing for people to lean in on that what you're, you know, pursuing there is a long-term solution, but you're really trying to address the hard issue um rather than let's just window dress and let's kind of paint over um, you know, an issue and I I appreciate that. That's that's amazing. What do kind of weekends look like or what is the kind of the style of your ministry and the, you know, the approach look like and and how does that connect, you know, with the culture you're trying to 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 reach?
2: Yeah. So um So because we're a church that was um, uh, purely white during mm-hmm. apartheid so there's some throwover legacy from that right um, and so we we still are kind of western in our worship styles mm-hmm. um, but are trying to trying to inter, uh, integrate and change that mm-hmm. we don't have a very big room so we've got a four hundred and fifty seater room so we 've got wow. to do four four gatherings on a sunday wow and so um, your typical african black African gathering would be long and mm-hmm. um um, kind of left with lots of flow. Mm-hmm. But we can't go there because we've got to get people in and out right. um, four times it. on a Sunday. Right. So so what we're trying to do is... Uh, uh, so our services would look very similar, I think, to someone in the U.S. We're an Acts 29 church, and so mm-hmm. if you know what mm-hmm. Acts 29 church services mm-hmm. look like, a lot like that. Um, but what we're trying to do is bring multilingualism in um, hmm. and and some more multicultural representation <laughs> still contained in kind of our our Western worship style, which is just where we find ourselves. So,
0: Talk about yeah. the multilingualism. How are you doing that? How are you achieving that?
2: Yeah, um, so South Africa has 11 official languages.
0: Ah, and so it's, That's amazing. It's, it's
2: complex, and so we find just little things. We're just starting to do this now. Just acknowledging that you would have that many languages in the room is a good thing. So mm. just in terms of greetings, um, you know, your announcer, when he's greeting the congregation, greet in more than one language. Um, we're trying to start singing uh, to sing in more than one language in a way that we hope isn't patronizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just just those little nods, those subtle things, to just say we acknowledge this as a as a value that there's a tapestry of of language and culture in the room, and and, and we want to acknowledge that.
0: Hmm. I wonder if you could talk about. I'd love to hear more about the, you know, you, and you acknowledge that you know your your suburb is obviously you know at the the kind of top of the scale economically for your your community, maybe the entire continent, which is amazing. Um, and how are you, obviously a part of the gospel is reaching out to the poor among us. And yeah. you, have a, you have the unique, um, you know, extreme example of that, that it's, it's literally right at your doorstep or right outside the wall. Um, give us a sense of how your church is dealing with that reality.
2: Yeah, so, so a couple of things. Um, uh, we we spent 30 um, to 35% of our budget on justice and mercy projects. Wow. Um, which we just Let's see... Not, as, we'll just, again,
0: wait, wait a second. Wait a We're getting to back up here. <laughs> We're going to back <laughs> this one up. 30 to 35% of your offering yeah, that's what, ends up in justice or outreach ministries.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So spent outside of the walls, um, usually on the poorest of the poor, widows and orphans. <laughs> and again, that's just that paying back privilege thing. You go, yep. okay, you're privileged. Um, yep. And you got to pay this back. So, wow. um, so that's a that's a value of ours. Something we hope to defend. What, it, what and, does that
0: look like? How are you? What are those? You know, I, kind of how are you giving that? What is that? What are you, is it? Programs? Are there are there other ministries that you're supporting? Are you doing direct kind of work? What does that look like? Yeah, a combo
2: of both. So uh, we align with uh, justice and mercy projects that that really meet the end of um, of helping the vulnerable and preaching the gospel. So we want to see mm-hmm. those two things colliding. And so if we can find meaningful partners that do both those things. Mm-hmm. then Then we want to fund and partake and participate wow. in their work, but then we 've got some really good proge- projects that we run ourselves so so just down the road from this neighborhood is a is a river that runs, and there 's a whole bunch of homeless uh, uh, men that that live in that river mm-hmm. and so um uh, we we 've got a feeding and discipleship scheme that runs from the church building, which the neighborhood has by and large hated um, <laughs> it
0: well that 's a global reality the- that that right. every, every neighborhood i don 't like when the church actually does what the church is supposed to do. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to incorporate
2: those men into the life of the church. So not just making it a, a feeding scheme, but trying to give them um, a respect and an identity, welcome them with warmth into the life and the rhythms of the congregation um, and and pull them in that way. So we do that. We're working in an informal settlement called Kaya Sands, which is a few kilometers away from us as well, where you've got hundreds of kids um, who are just uh, – their parents are off looking for work. So they don't, they're not at preschool. They're not being looked after. Um, and so we've got um, a number of projects reaching out to those kids um, and their mothers as well. So mm-hmm.
0: um, Some listeners might be interested in, you know, how your church is um, impacted by or aiding, you know, the HIV AIDS, you know, pandemic, you know, for folks that don't know, at one point, South Africa um, really wasn't acknowledging, you know, the HIV issue within its own borders, but then that has changed, turned around. You talked about it earlier, you know, the, the it's unfortunately has the the you don't want to be at the top of that that list, but unfortunately, is the highest percentage of infections in the in the world. Um, how does that impact your your church? What does that look like? What is you know how are you you know kind of aiding that issue?
2: Yeah, so I mean, again, mainly in our Justice Mercy Projects, yeah. education is a is a massive Big angle deal. that that you got to take on, um, and understanding. I mean, this I hope I don't offend your no, your no US no. Uh, viewers. Uh, understanding the African context as well and just having some empathy and sympathy towards that, mm. um, and, and starting to understand that maybe a Westerner um, with a Bible in his hand who isn't abstaining from sex, arriving to tell a 14-year-old girl that she has to abstain, mm. um, uh, it doesn't always work. Right. <laughs> okay? right. So right. it's um, trying to educate people on other ways that they can um, uh, prevent infection as well. Um, mm. And so we don't see that as a dilution of the gospel message. We want to call people to sexual purity, but we also only really expect Christians to act like Christians. Mm. Uh, and calling non-Christians to act like Christians doesn't work. Mm. Um, and so uh, we've seen uh, those campaigns coming from the West and they haven't yielded fruit in this part of the world. And so just trying to get an understanding with that and really pushing towards education, both in our congregation, but then also in the projects that we uh, partner with. And then helping to clean up the mess. So really mm. pushing towards caring for AIDS orphans because there's, yeah, there's millions of them. Right. So um, you really got to push to that.
0: Amazing. Uh, this, is, this has been super encouraging to hear and just learn a little bit more about your, you know, your church. What else would you, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, I'm asking you to kind of speak to our U.S. listeners. You know, there's a, a vast majority of people that listen to this podcast are our church leaders and, and from the states. And, you know, how would you say kind of looking into our culture and you studied here for a while, so you have a good sense of, you know, what's happening here. What what are some of those lessons that you can apply from, you know, your experience to to us and what are some things we should be thinking about?
2: Yeah. So, um, a few things. I mean, I think what I see happening in the U.S. at the moment is uh, evangelical Christianity being pushed to the fringes, Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of panic about that in society, and I understand that because it's been right at the center of kind of the lifeblood of American identity for a long time but 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 that 's where Christianity flourishes is mm-hmm. on the fringes mm-hmm. uh, where, where you 're sojourners and aliens and exiles in a strange land mm-hmm. um, and and u s Christians are going to have to get used to being those things mm-hmm. and living like those things, exiles in their own land and mm-hmm. sojourners and aliens um, and so i I, I think um, uh, some energy is going to need to go to kind of just owning that identity, and then living that identity is good news. You know, when I when I look at the Book of Acts, people loved the actions of the early church and hated their doctrine, mm. um, and, and, uh, and and that's where I think us Christians are being pushed towards. But they're only going to love your your actions if your actions are evident. Mm. So. The days of cultural Christianity I think, are over, mm-hmm. uh, but I think the days of being real christ followers um, is is exciting mm-hmm. if, if people can can own it it will be hard there'll be persecution uh, that 's a given mm-hmm. uh, but I think you'll get a a true core of Christianity starting to emerge um, and so so that that would be the one thing I mean mm-hmm. in line with that a little bit is um, a, a lot of the the arguments that I see coming out of the West about like You've got to be careful not to engage in a social gospel. Mm. Um, no one has those arguments in the developed. When you've got starving kids, you're going like, right. the gospel mandates, I must feed these kids. Right. Uh, and I'm not too worried about doing that in a way that might accuse me of being part of the social gospel. I'm doing it because of Jesus Christ Uh, and and He alone is God and He died for me and He died for these kids and He breathed His image and likeness into these children. And so I'm not going to sit around and pontificate about, hmm, is this blurring a line of the true gospel? It's like, no, it's a natural outworking of my love and affection for Christ. And so um, there's a lot of debate that happens in the West that doesn't happen in the rest of the world because the need is too great. Hmm. Uh, and so I'm a doctrine guy, so defend good doctrine, but live this thing up.
0: No, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. I think that's a good word. I hope people listened in and leaned in there. Um, another issue kind of related, um, you know, I think there is a, there continues to be a an awakening, a concern about, recon, you know, racial reconciliation in our country. Do you have anything mm. to speak to that? Um, the thing I, you know, the obviously the process that your, you know, homeland's been through has been... A, you know, amazing. Um, anything that you, from that perspective, that you could kind of speak into, um, you know, to our experience here in the States?
2: Yeah, I think, I think people have got to be prepared to have uncomfortable conversations. Um, and uh, this kind of notion of colorblindness doesn't work. Mm. And so if we just say we're colorblind, we're, we're in denial. So mm. I think we've got to get into some conversations where we're empathetic listeners to start with, mm. um, instead of just guys shouting down. Um, mm-hmm. And other people group, mm-hmm. and I think this is particularly dangerous for um, white Americans because you're a vast majority there, and mm-hmm. so you can shut down dissenting voices. Mm-hmm. But I think the gospel, which has removed the wall of hostility between people of different ethnic groups, you know, mm-hmm. um, to Ephesians two, uh, really needs to needs to be driving us to be listeners and to be compassionate listeners, mm-hmm. um, and to be agents of change. So, like the big thing that I've seen here is. People owning and understanding whiteness mm-hmm. and the privilege that comes with that, not defending against that, just going, yep, yep, I've benefited um, from my pigmentation a great deal. Now, what do I do? Mm-hmm. If people get to that point, I see a lot of barriers coming
0: down. So. Absolutely, this is. Oh, this has been fantastic. Um, anything you want to share before we wrap up today? Um. Yeah, man. I just think uh,
2: church leaders out there, just do what Christ asks you to do, which is to make disciples. Mm. Um, don't, don't buy into the hype of selling religious goods and services. Mm. Um, win people to Christ. Disciple them to maturity and just do it again and again and again and again. If God gives you lots of people, praise Him. If He gives you a few people, stay faithful with them. But simplify it. Just make disciples. Just honor Christ that way. That's, that's what we're called to do.
0: Very cool. Ross, if people want to get in touch with you or with the church, uh, how can they do that?
2: Um, The website for the church is bbc.org.za. And my Twitter handle is at Ross Lester.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show today.